trust me. <laughs> but I got to do what I got to do. So we all know ball is life. Yes. For a lot Let's of talk people. about balls. <laughs> <laughs> that just made it. Oh. And our friends, what, Patrick? So AJ is all excited about balls, but he's he's a puck man. Yeah, that's that's why I'm excited about balls. I don't get to spend enough time. He never talks about balls. He always talks about pucks. Yeah, it's true. Our that's friends true. over at Manscaped want to assist you when it's time for you to hit your game winner. We've talked about it before. This is about you staying clean and fresh, but it's also about your significant other. So think of them. Right now, you can get the Perfect Package 3.0 <laughs> kit, and it comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 the crop preserver and the crop reviver can vouch for both of those products. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, supporting our partners is supporting us. So use the code DNVR 20 for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. You only got to do this read one day a week, Allie. We're doing it five, uh, every day on our respective oh, I- podcasts. I mean, I've come to accept it, but I just constantly see people like, why is Allie reading this? And then I see other people being like, this is amazing. Make Allie read this more. So <laughs> I feel I feel the same about it, guys. Ball, ball is just a hobby for you. Ball is life for us. Okay. <laughs> Nobody out. Three and two on Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsay breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landeskog. He has done it again. Vaughn Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Dog two hands. Nikola Jokic. Save me by Grubauer with the left pad. Oh, goodness gracious me. Take a good luck. You won't see it for long. Jurat home run. Trevor Story. Lock. And so touchdown. to the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. It's a Friday and, you know, I've got to hold down the fort since we don't have Drew or Rudo on here. So I've got my resolution, Breck Brew. But How, I mean, how is the resolution? I haven't had that one. Oh, it's so good. It's really, really, really light and easy to drink. So I like it. But my new Friday traditions have been ordering from Breck's Farmhouse which is amazing. And if you order your meal or beer from them, you can use the code DNVR and save $5 off your meal. You could do delivery or curbside pickup. It's really such good food. I, I, go, I go with the sweet heat wings. Trust me on those. They're good. <clears throat> Drew Creason says, I'm there in spirit having a hop peak. I know I wanted Ryan to uh, do the RK special for us, which is a hot peak and strawberry sky put together, but he said he is out of hot peak. So yeah, it's it's the drink that's sweeping the nation. Some have said. <laughs> I feel like it has some real jump off potential. Yeah, it, it's it's a market I don't think anybody has really approached yet. 
I think so. I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm just waiting to get back in the DNVR bar so I can teach the bartenders the correct method of creating it and they can start uh, dishing them out. Yeah. Mixology 101. Exactly. RK. We got someone else saying, RK, that beard is getting legit. Quarantine beard is going ham right now. And then How long are you going to grow it out for? He can hear us. So. I am not trimming this beard until we can go back to the DNVR bar. And actually, probably just until I can go to the barber shop. But I assume those are those two are uh, go hand in hand. What if we at let's, our uh, let's pray that soon? <laughs> what if at our grand reopening you shaved your beard at the bar? Ooh, I mean, it's not coming all the way it's, off. We can be sure of that. Not sanitary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we could make it work. Yeah, I just put like a pan around my uh, face, kind of yeah. like my stand-up desk, but just around the neck. Okay, well, we got Breck will have to sell mixed packs of Strawberry Sky and Hop Peak together now because of the RK special. Yes, three and three. How is everyone <laughs> How is everyone doing? How's the quarantine treating you? We're in week four or five now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But Time we're is all a flat staying, circle. We're all staying home and we're doing our part, which is what is most important. How's everyone's week so far? We've had the DNBA live show going this week, so keeping us occupied during the day. Looking forward to the draft uh, next week, chipping into some real sports coverage. So I'm doing good. Spirits are high here. Spirits are high. I have to say, if you guys haven't tuned in to the DNBA show yet, it is you will guaranteed laugh. I guarantee you, you will laugh at multiple times if you watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time I checked into one of the teasers, you guys were talking about Brendan and the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, I forget how we actually got on the topic of the Playboy <laughs> Mansion. We, I think we were talking about L.A. or something. And Brendan used to live in L.A. And a job he used to work had him like setting up for a party at the Playboy Mansion one day. And he had like a classic run in with P. Diddy. But you got to listen to the pod to to find out the true story. How's everyone else? AJ, how you doing? I'm bored mostly. Uh, hanging out, playing video games. Uh, it, there's a reason that I got into sports professionally and not gaming. I um I actually watched the replay of Ryan and Brandon's Madden game. I was gonna game say that was the from game the other of night. The week. <laughs> um, I think Brandon's play-by-play truly made it like an incredible experience. <laughs> He gets so into it. Yeah, I don't awesome. think it would have been the same without it. It was um, it was awesome. Yeah, Brandon had a good run until he ran into the buzzsaw that was the 0-10 Eagles in me. Yeah, I was wondering if you were just, like, um, playing coy the whole season and, uh, like, hustling him for that game, like <laughs> make, making the 10-week long play, or yeah. if that, would ju- that just happened. I mean, he's the one who suggested it to go live, so he really just fell into my trap of <laughs> getting embarrassed on uh, uh, on national stream TV. But yeah. The second time Spanel's lost on stream, too, because Hank beat him. That's Has he ever really ever won? I mean, all these games are taking place offline. Do we really even know? Yeah, they might have all been forfeits. No, it's his yeah. son. He sneaks in. Oh yeah, he's over. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> he, he totally puts Meech on the sticks. <laughs> um, my my week though has been pretty normal. I mean, with the NFL draft staying strong, and and you know, there's been a lot of different takes on that. I personally really appreciate it on the behalf of the NFL keeping this going. It's felt. I mean, other than the fact that you know 
we're stuck here from a work perspective. Uh, it's really felt similar to, you know, years past, which is really nice. Um, dive, really starting to dive in to these prospects and, you know, who might fall to the Broncos, who might not. But uh, altogether, this has been a good week. It's so I'm getting so excited for the draft next week. I mean, everyone on this, uh, right, uh, this podcast right now is going to be a part of what we're doing. The entire company, you know, over 20 people are going to have a hand in the production that we're putting on for DNVR Draft Day Live. So that is that has me really excited, uh, and, and that's making the time pass for sure. DNVR Draft Live is going to be amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Five, three to five-hour stream, as long as the draft's going on. Uh, we'll be online with Andre, Henry, and RK as your hosts, and then guest appearances from everyone else. But I wish this podcast would be solely a distraction for everyone from what's going on in the world right now, but we do have to talk about the biggest news of the week, and that is Von Miller testing positive for COVID-19. He is the second known NFL player to test positive and the fourth Denver athlete with the three others being Avs players. He wanted to come out publicly with this to try and bring more awareness to the virus. Ryan, NFL players haven't necessarily been as affected by the virus as other athletes because of the later start to their season. Um, Do you see this changing now that we have more players testing positive? Yeah. I mean, that, that would be a nice, um, uh, you know, positive change to come from a, a, a bummer of a situation. Obviously first and foremost, you hope that Vaughn gets well soon um, the fact that he has asthma makes it a, a little more concerning, certainly, from his part. But he's also, you know, a world-class athlete in incredible shape. So we hope that <clears throat> he can, you know, really dominate this thing. But um, it does feel weird that, you know, these NFL players, unlike the N- uh, NHL and NBA players, haven't really been directly affected by this yet. So far, the only stuff that they haven't been able to do is stuff that they don't really like doing anyway. So... Uh, it does feel like they haven't been quite as cautious and you're seeing things like, uh, you know, Dak, uh, Dak Prescott having a party and that sort of stuff. And so you, you just hope that something good can come from a bad situation and people can say, okay, well, if Vaughn got this and, you know, he's been somewhat cautious and, and whatnot, not leaving his house, then maybe we all need to take this a little bit more seriously. In the end, the you know the only way that we can get sports back as a whole is if you know all of these guys start uh, recovering and and new players don't start getting it. So I think it's one of those things where you know you got to get hundreds of people on the same page here to collectively decide. Okay, we want to do anything and everything we can to not let our season get affected, uh, and and that's difficult. But you know, little little thing this. Can, start to move the needle in the right way. I think, you know, if you ask NBA and NHL players, they would say that they're they're on board with everyone doing anything and everything they can to avoid getting this because, you know, in, until that starts happening, then the, the idea of sports coming back is a, is a tough sell. Yeah, the good thing that we heard from Vaughn today on uh, Good Morning America and from his agent saying that he's in good spirits. So, of course, we're all here Um Hoping for a speedy recovery from Vaughn. But in other news, on Wednesday we learned that the Broncos are slated, tentatively slated, to begin voluntary virtual offseason programming on Monday, April 27th. It's going to be uh, pretty interesting for them to try and do this. I mean, they already have enough 
trouble trying to keep the attention of these 20 or 25 year olds uh, in a real meeting room when they're right there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of go about this. I'm sure we'll hear things here and there from the players about what it's like and whatnot, but uh, it's a, it's a big challenge. I mean, you know, these are the challenges that our educators are going through right now, trying to keep young people engaged uh, via streams and whatnot. And uh, it's something that I think is, is, was not prepared for in any way, shape or form. And so everyone's kind of learning on the fly. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be uh, a really odd situation and something that's going to be difficult for these coaches to figure out how they can remain engaging. It, it, it's funny because um, the Nuggets have been having like virtual, like they've been doing virtual workouts and stuff on Zoom and whatnot. Uh, they've also been just like having virtual team meetings and stuff. And I think I heard it might have been like Monte Morris on one of these Nuggets Instagram lives say that only two players out of like 15 showed up to this wellness training that they had or something. And like, of course, that stuff isn't mandatory, but I, I mean, you you would think, or at least I would think that in times like this, those guys would want to at least have some kind of camaraderie and just see each other and like talk with each other. So like, I don't know, that was like surprising to me a little bit. Yeah. And these are voluntary. Everything the Broncos are going to be doing is voluntary. So, you know, in the NFL, we always joke that the, you know, vol- nothing is voluntary. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if, you know, if these guys are left to their own devices, they're just at home, if that actually changes things and guys are, you know, just bailing. So um, I have a feeling that the NFL will be a little bit different here and guys will know that if they don't show up for this type of stuff, uh, they're going to be on the chopping block. So I bet you there'll be full participation. Have the abs been doing any of these virtual workouts that we know of, Adrian? Uh, no. Not that I know of. I mean, I'm I'm sure that they're doing something. It's a pretty tight-knit group, so uh, I'm sure they're doing something, but they have gone almost completely dark uh, since all of this began. You know, some teams are holding, uh, like, big Zoom meetings with the public, and, and like, you can tell who's, who's living with whom, and you can get a lot of insight into that, and the Avs are doing nothing. They're, they're basically doing what the Avs do, and that's... If they don't have to be on the spotlight in front of everybody, they are not. Yeah, it's it, it does seem I mean, the NHL, though, has done a good job of getting these guys on streams and whatnot. We've heard from Kale. We've heard from uh, Gabe. I don't know if we've heard from Nate yet, but at least, you know, he did a few. Inter- he did a few interviews that dude. I, I feel awful for whoever was trying to teach Nate how to use Zoom. <laughs> that, that's just like one of those processes where it was like. So much patience required. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, he's really into the video games. You would think that would translate to just using computer. And I mean, sitting down with the controller and, and, you know, doing things with bright colors and, and flashy lights <laughs> and all that. That's a little different than understanding how to use a lot of different technology. I guess that makes sense. Patrick, we aren't able to hear you that well. So Patrick told me he um, let Drew know. So Drew might hop on here. Um, I'm sad because we, of course, love to have Patrick on the show, but this is just one of those things with the virtual 
reality and quarantine that I bet some of the guys that are doing their workouts are also dealing with. So. D-Line said this on the DNBA show yesterday, but your worth in the quarantine world is just based on how good your internet connection is. It's all that matters anymore. It's Can not you have cute. a steady internet connection? I had to get a technician to come out to my house like a week after quarantine started to, to get uh, to get mine fixed because I was like, nope, this is not happening. We're all working from home. I am not having unsteady internet. We got Drew on here now. That was a pretty quick tag in, tag out. It was. All right. Well, we had Great. David East ask, is DNVR doing any virtual training and is vote <laughs> ducking out on them? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got Patrick joining in. Hey. Well. <laughs> What's up? What is going on? <laughs> oh, I'm excited for the slideshow to continue. I thought Patrick was like the guy in Austin Powers that got sent down into the dungeon. Will Farrell. All right. Before we move on, a great question that one of our members asked in the lounge. As you all already know, Denver Rubber Company is your one-stop shop for anything snow plows, but they are not limited to just that. They're the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. I know this quarantine has many of you all being handymen and women around the house, so don't forget that Denver Rubber Company provides the highest quality of products and custom makes it all and you can purchase products for yourself and of course in bulk at a fantastic rate so be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs custom gasket hoses all of that at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you moving on like i said to a great question asked by lone star bronco in our dnvr lounge who has been the most exciting prospect each of you have seen in your perspective sports? Someone you knew instantly would be a star. Let's have this be in the past. You can't say Kale McCarr, you can't oh, say MPJ, you can't what? say Drew Locke. Think of another <laughs> player. The Avs have plenty. Let's start with you, Harrison. <laughs> oh, you start with me. Um, does it have to be Nuggets related? Yes. Are we doing this with Denver sports yes. teams? Denver sports team. Um, I mean, MPJ is probably the one that comes to mind. I said you can't use that one. Oh, you did? <laughs> Clearly um, not listening. <laughs> you know, like, with Jokic, you knew he – you had a feeling he was going to be really good, um, like, probably from the beginning of his uh, sophomore season, maybe even the tail end of his rookie year. You thought he was going to be really good starter – uh, maybe like fringe all-star guy. I don't think anybody thought he'd be, you know, an all NBA guy first teamer. Um, I mean, if bowl bowl can stay healthy and get on the floor, uh, I, I think he has like as much upside as anybody on the nuggets roster. That star power. Yeah. I mean, just a seven, two guy who could be the best shooter on the team and who could also lead the league in blocks. I, I don't think, the league has seen somebody like him maybe ever. Um, so, I mean, it, there's still a lot of question marks with him. The number one is health and just kind of like his makeup and um, this his work ethic. But I think if he can get on the court and uh, stay healthy, I think he's got as much upside as anybody on the Nuggets roster. All right, AJ, I know I took Kale McCarr away from you, but who else you got? So I'm I'm curious. Did 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 it have to work out? Did he have to become a star? Yes, 
I mean, I guess you could say McKinnon, right? Like, he showed up at the Memorial Cup, which, if you're not familiar, is like... I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, it's like it's like a it's like a Champions League of junior teams uh, in Canada, and he was at the Memorial Cup his draft year, and that's always like, oh, if you get if you get the top stars there, or uh, the top draft picks there, then um, they you know they get to put on it's like a showcase for them, and he was going head to head against Seth Jones, uh, who was the top defenseman that year. And a lot of people thought the abs were going to draft and McKinnon put up back-to-back hat tricks on Seth Jones and just ripped them apart and totally went off. And it was like, Oh my God, this guy is a monster. And so, I mean, you knew, you knew he was going to be a star that, that there was just no doubt, especially the way he elevated his game in the playoffs, in the postseason. And has done so in his NHL career too. He's a point per game player in his NHL career uh, in the playoffs. So it's he. I guess he's the obvious answer since all my other options were taken away from me. <laughs> um, he was that guy. Although you know, I, I I was not covering the abs officially back then, so it was a little bit different. So um, Harrison said, "Bull, bull." Is there any incoming or upcoming prospect you see that could be a star? For the Avs, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess Byram really is is would be the easy answer. He's a top five pick and uh, absolutely shredded the WHL the last two years. Became the first defenseman to ever lead um, the WHL playoffs in scoring. He's just he's been a dominant junior player and should be on the Avs next year. Patrick, moving on to you. So who, who is a prospect that you were very excited about? You knew would be an instant star. That it, it was definitely John Gray. Like, you know, Todd Helton was when we were very young, but he was the seventh overall pick. So there were, you know, a lot of plaudits and, and, and a lot of expectations for him. But John Gray, I mean, he came up from when he was drafted in June of 2013. He was in the majors about two years later in August of 2015. So he immediately jumped on the scene and was in double A a year after coming out of the University of Oklahoma. So he was throwing 100 miles an hour, you know, in the low levels of the minor leagues immediately. Hasn't really had any arm issues, has never needed Tommy John. So he's, he's pretty much delivered on everything that's been expected of him. You can say maybe he has, you know, somewhat fallen short. And while, you know, he's arguably the ace of the staff right now, he's not an ace in the general term of, of major league baseball, when you say there might only be 10 to 15 true aces, he's, you know, he's off the mark on that, but from where they, they selected him at and what they needed out of him, you know, he's, he's definitely met those expectations and he's been, you know, everything that they, they hoped when they selected him third overall, which is the second highest pick they've even had in their franchise's history. So there was a lot of expectations and, He's he's been good. He's been he's been really good. I feel like he's not a star though. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's true. Bring you know? in Drew to defend. <laughs> he's definitely not a star. He yeah. heard what you guys have to say. I'm gonna tag out and say, Drew, why has John Gray delivered on his promise in the minor league? John Gray is 
already arguably the so we'll take- third best pitcher in the history of the Colorado Rockies. When you're talking about Rockies pitchers, you've got to keep things in context. The only reason John Gray isn't a star is because nationally and locally, Rockies pitchers never, ever, 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 ever in the history of ever get enough credit for the task at hand, not just pitching at Coors Field, but then having to pitch completely differently and having your pitches react differently on the road. And that this guy, before he's even reached his prime, is already like fourth in franchise history and strikeouts, has already had two of the five best seasons in franchise history, has the best strikeout rate in franchise history. Yes, by like a full strikeout more per nine innings than Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, Like John Gray is a star he just isn't treated like one he also pitched the best game in the history of Coors Field of anybody who's ever pitched there and he did it in his rookie season he's not even there yeah but I mean just because he's a star for the Rockies doesn't mean he's a star for the sport if you adjusted John Gray's pitching numbers the way people adjust Nolan Arenado or Todd Helton or Larry Walker's hitting numbers he would be right in there. He has been at times, including in 2017 for the entire second half of the season, he was basically the third best pitcher in baseball during that time. Like the only reason he's not thought of that way is because he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Like, I guess it depends on your definition of star, but like, it's just unfair that he's, you're probably right, Harrison, that he's not thought of as a star in the game of baseball, but it's really too bad because he pitches extraordinarily well with a much higher degree of difficulty than anyone else has to. Yeah, I think a star is just someone who has to be like recognizable throughout the sport and considered to be you know one of the better players. Like Ubaldo was able to become a star uh, in Denver, so it's not that it hasn't ever been done. I think uh, Gray falls a little bit short, and like AJ kind of pointed out briefly there. He's not even the best current pitcher on the Rockies. I don't think that's true. We got to see more from Herman Marquez. Uh, but, I mean, if we're going based on what they've actually accomplished on the diamond, John Gray has been much better than Herman Marquez so far and has done it for a longer period of time. Bring in Patrick back in here. Yeah, you know, part of the question was prospect that we've seen in our lifetime. And, you know, we could go back and we could dig up, you know, Todd Helton, we could, we could certainly talk about him. And there's been some other guys. And sure, Nolan Arenado obviously is – he's already now in his seven seasons the greatest player in franchise history. I think it's it's relatively unequivocal. Todd Helton has had a lot of uh, counting stats, you know, with his 369 career home runs. But nobody else had six – excuse me, five consecutive seasons inside the top ten in National League MVP voting. But did we see Nolan Arenado becoming this player? Not really, you know, because some of the, the prospect pundits were saying, you know, uh, even when he was going into AAA, his AAA season in 2013 before he made his debut, was that like, you know, maybe he'll have to move over to first base. And, yeah, he's a little flat-footed and he's, he's slow on the base path and he has a couple of things he needs to work on. He was only 21 years old. So he wasn't a guy that you would look at and say, oh, man, He's going to be a stud. He's going to be a, a guaranteed Hall of Famer. I think with John Gray, you know, the best is yet to come. Uh, Drew and I are going to be talking about this later this afternoon, talking about the greatest starting pitchers 
uh, in Rocky's franchise. And sure, John Gray still has a lot more convincing to do. But as far as guys who were immediately selected in the draft, he's probably delivered on that more than anybody else. You got to remember that all our sports are different in that, you know, baseball's got a minor league system where guys need to develop for a couple of years. Hockey's got that too a little bit. But look at Kale McCarr, immediately just jumps right into the avalanche and has an impact. Nuggets, Carmelo Anthony, he's not even a, a prospect. He just goes from college to immediate impact in the NBA. Same thing with NFL players. So there's a degree of, of error and the variability that comes with baseball players that that's, that's a lot harder than any of the other major sports. Ryan, who is a prospect you were excited to see and has become a star? Well, first of all, I'm going to call my shot on one since we're in draft season here. Uh, for me, it's Jerry Judy uh, this year. Like I just, you watch him on film and I, I just, I just say that guy is going to be an NFL star. Um, I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again. I've never seen a prospect who runs routes as well as he does. Um, it just looks effortless. It looks like some. It looks foreign almost the way that he, <laughs> the way that he runs routes and just floats through it. His head stays still. The rest of his body's moving. It's just it's it's art uh, when he runs routes. So that's that's the one I'm calling my shot on here. Um, the other one for me, I, I I I've done I've kind of done this throughout his entire career, but is Philip Lindsay. Um, uh, when he was recruited from Denver South, I loved him. When he got to Boulder, I said he needed to touch the ball more. He finally got it. Then he got to Denver. I said he's going to be a star in the NFL. And, and I think he has earned the uh, the star ranking in the NFL, being a pro bowler in his first season. So uh, that's that's the guy that I kind of called my shot on throughout. Yeah, sometimes something that's sometimes identifiable with a star, and Ryan was kind of saying this about um, Judy, but like stars just do stuff different in their respective sport. Like whether it's Judy running routes or, you know, how McKinnon just moves with the puck. That's kind of going back to what I was saying about bowl. He has like the Nikola Jokic level touch, like, like just walking around the gym. He, he does like weird stuff with the ball where he'll just like throw it over his shoulder from the three point line and it just goes in. Like that's the stuff Jokic does. And you're always like, what the heck is he doing? But <laughs> he just has that same kind of touch and he's just different. You know, sometimes it's hard to describe, but a lot of star players have those qualities that are just so much different than everybody else. That's, and I've talked about this before. That's kind of how I feel about Kale McCarr. Like certain things he does on the ice just don't, they just look different from other, from anything you've ever seen. I mean, that my, the number one example is like that little head fake juke move he does. Like you just, you don't see that. You don't see guys doing that move, and he makes it look so natural. That's like one of those things, like you mentioned, Harrison, when you see a guy do something that looks odd to you but is effective, that's yeah. when you're like, okay, this guy's different than everyone else. Ryan called a shot on with a prospect in the draft this year. Do you guys have anyone you want to say? Do you guys want to call your shots with any prospects? Uh, I my, my most famous called shot was when uh... – I said uh, when Andrei Svechnikov was a 15-year-old, I said he was going to be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, he's in his second year in the NHL right now and uh, got a – he was drafted second overall in his draft class, and he's off to a great start in his career. Um, Him landing in Carolina might hurt my Hall of Fame uh, prediction, but he's, he's incredible, and I think he's one of the futures of hockey. Yeah, the NBA draft is shaping up to be a really poor draft for star-level talent. Like, there could be nobody in the NBA draft that ever makes an all-star game. 
this uh, upcoming right. summer. Uh, that's how bad it is. There, there should be some good role players. I will say, though, that I think Tyler Bay out of Colorado can, can be an impactful guy in an Andre Robertson-type role. That's that's the kind of player I see him being. Totally, yeah. He, he probably has to get a little bit better on his on-ball defense, but uh, he certainly has all the tools to become yeah. that type of player. Just the length, the quickness, the, the explosiveness. I think he can be like a lockdown perimeter guy potentially. If he was being drafted right now, what what team do you think he would fit on the best? Well, probably like the teams Robertson has fit on best, a, a good team that can surround him with scores and shooters and just kind of, you know, let him be maybe your one non-shooter. Although he did show some signs of, you know, having what could be a somewhat of a three-point stroke at the next level in college. He's probably not going to be that guy from day one. So, you know, he, if he um, – stays in the draft, which I'm pretty sure he will. He'll probably get, you know, late first round. So he'll be on a good team, which which is probably paramount for him. Is there anyone you want to call your shot for on Patrick? Well, you know, baseball, <laughs> no one's going to know these names, but uh, he's got Give a us one out of Arizona State University as a first baseman outfielder named Spencer Torkelson. That oh uh, great collegiate ball player name. I don't know what is. He might go 1-1. One, one. For the Tigers, uh, if we have a draft this year, uh, scheduled to be June 20th, we said he now could go back as late as, as mid-July. So we're going to kind of wait and see. None of these guys have really any numbers because their their spring season was cut short. So yeah. they have exhibition games. But the interesting thing is about when when they do these these picks and they make up their boards, for the most part, they already know who they who they want to select by mid-May. So. You know, while guys didn't get a chance to, to put up a, a big 2020 season, I think most of the teams know, you know, who the top guys are anyway at this point. Yeah, it's going to be so interesting with you know, sports and like baseball and uh, the NBA's with this. The NHL might be a little too, but like they don't have a lot of or, or the second half of their college seasons to scout off of, and they don't have obviously the NBA yeah. won't have individual pre draft workouts. Nice and they won't be able to like bring guys into the facility. It's all going to be over Zoom. So I feel like we, we could see and maybe find out which teams have actually done their homework in the lead-up to the drafts. You no, know, it will take a year or two to really see that, but this could be a good look at it. What, Harrison, what do, you, what do you think the odds are that a guy might go undrafted this year in the NBA and still become an All-Star? You think, I mean, obviously this year has to be better than any other chance because some guys haven't you know, uh, increase their profile due to, you know, uh, March Madness. Yeah. I mean, there are so few undrafted all-stars there, you know, it's like not a ton of those guys anyways, but um, I-, I feel like this draft, there's not a lot of star power. Like I said, like I would not be surprised if nobody in the top 10, you know, made an all-star game. Like there's just not that type of talent in this draft, but, there could be a lot of good role players that teams could scoop up. So Before we keep going, i got to let you all know that Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits always has the best deals. They have two locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch, and they are offering curbside pickup or delivery. These guys are locally owned, have a massive selection of products, and plus, they carry our favorite Breck Brews. So definitely tweet at us if you go check that out. Supporting our sponsors is a great way to help support us, which you guys have already done so much of. So Thank you. But with that question, we had Mark IT Snatch ask, oh, got to get, 
Who is a prospect each of you were hyped about but didn't pan out? Let's go in opposite order. Ryan, we'll start with you. Huh. Prospect I was hyped about that didn't pan out. I mean, Tim Tebow um, <laughs> would be a perfect example. I was I was all aboard the Tebow train. So 2011, you know, 17 years old. Uh, I, I didn't quite understand – like the the massive differences between college football and the NFL at that point. And so I I was hyped when the Broncos picked him. Um, I thought that he was going to pan out and be a star in the NFL. Um, I even, you know, when they when they got Peyton Manning, I obviously thought that was incredible. But I, I, I at the time thought the Broncos wouldn't even be pursuing Peyton Manning because they had such a pro- promising young quarterback at the time so yeah I was I was big on Tebow and even after he left Denver I thought man someone's gonna pick this guy up and and turn him into a star and it just never never happened I knew a lot of Broncos fans that were upset with uh the Broncos going after Peyton Manning saying yeah they would never buy jerseys that they were Tim Tebow all the way that's what I mean about (laughs) I mean Tim Tebow's got to be the most unique player I've ever you know, seen a career for like he had such a devout following that that was, you know, a lot of people talk about, Oh, what if he could have learned under Peyton once he came in? Like the reason that that wasn't possible to happen was because Tim Tebow had such a rabid fan base that like a guy like Peyton Manning, isn't going to come to Denver and deal with people in the stands chanting for Tebow. So, um, that it's just completely wild and yeah i mean there were a lot of people out there saying like the broncos would regret not uh would regret bringing in peyton and getting rid of tebow obviously they were very very wrong about that but uh it it was just crazy the 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 fans the fan base that he you know had was just wild aj i see you making faces over there what are you making faces about (laughs) just remembering tebow and how absurd that whole era was it was incredible the 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 people who would like just lay down their virtual lives in defense of that guy yep. everything that he did every excuse you could come up with it was just like oh my good lord man just it was just an exhausting time to try and talk broncos football with anybody because everything was Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was like the black hole of conversations because it didn't matter what you wanted to talk about. It all ended up just getting sucked back into the Tebow vortex. It's wild. All right, I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so Never glad. again. I'm so glad we saw the return of hot take Hayley. Ah, oh, he's here. Excellent. Patrick, who who's a prospect that you were hyped for that didn't turn out? Yeah, right around the same time as John Gray was Eddie Butler. He was uh, a big Oh, t- Eddie Butler. Man. Yeah. Yeah, all right, confirmation. Yeah, he you know, was going to be Gray and Butler, like just leading the rotation for, you know, the next seven years. And, you know, where, where Gray took off. And, and, again, yeah, he's he's not the ace that, that they would like for him to be eventually. Butler, you know, fell off the face of the earth. You know, he – you know, pitched in parts of three seasons and, you know, eventually, you know, they couldn't get anything else out of him, not even as a, as a long reliever, traded him away. He, he signed last year to play in, in Korea 
He played in the KBO and was cut by, by July, like halfway through the season. Uh, he's out of organized baseball right now. And, you know, it's a real, real kind of sad story for a guy that seemed destined for at least to be, you know, a number three type starter. You know, like you think about the, the worst case scenario, maybe for Kyle Freeland, that would be like as a number three, four starter. Eddie Butler couldn't even provide that, uh, unfortunately, after, after all the hype you know, that, that came came with him and, and John Gray. Well, I just remember him just like Patrick was saying. It was supposed to be John Gray and Eddie Butler. Like Everybody was super hyped about those two. They were supposed to captain the Rockies rotation for the next 10 years. How about the uh, the guys who came over in the Ubaldo trade, Pomeranz and Alex White? I mean, Pomeranz has had a nice career. Yep, not yep. not befitting the fifth overall pick, but has carved out a solid career for himself. It, just, it was just never going to happen here. Yeah. Yeah, he finally just got paid, you know, some big money, uh, ironically enough, by the Padres. But as a reliever, like like AJ said, he hasn't really hasn't really come to fruition for him. But that that can be common for left-handers. You know, they they take a, a while to age, and sometimes their best years aren't until they're you know, early 30s. And in the case of, of Jamie Moyer, as, as the Rockies saw, it wasn't until he was 49 years old. Yeah, Pomerantz kind of had a Andrew Miller light type of career where he uh, yeah did not work out as a starter and found found his success as a reliever and then uh, just got better with age, honestly. Yeah, Miller was a, was a huge prospect at North Carolina State and, you know, and couldn't get him done as a starter and just like Pomerantz. So... Yeah, the Obaldo deal, they, they didn't get much back um, as they would have liked, unfortunately. Same thing with the Tulo deal. But in both cases, both teams lost those trades. Uh, I don't know that the Rockies necessarily lost because they saved a lot of money. I think that was kind of the, the bottom line deal. And I think if, if you know the Jose Reyes situation didn't go down with you know, domestic violence like that offseason – um, I think they could have gotten a lot more value out of it. But, you know, hindsight being 2020, if that didn't go down, you wouldn't have had Trevor Story on opening day hitting two home runs. Because- totally. I mean, yeah. I, I just mean in the sense that neither team came out of the trade with the player that they really loved. 100%. You're right. Yeah. yeah. All right, AJ, what about you? Who, who were you hyped for that didn't pan out? So where does Tyson Jost fit into this? <laughs> no, I really I'm I'm honestly asking because like you could say didn't pan out, but like he's still on the team. He's a legit NHL player, but he's more of a bottom tier player. So let's say this question was asked like with the first question. So someone okay. you were hyped about who you thought was gonna be a star that didn't pan out. So I think if you feel that way about Tyson Jost, it would it would fit here. Yeah, I <sighs> So I guess I'll go with Tyson Jost uh, with Stefan Elliott being the other guy that I kind of had in mind. Uh, But Tyson Jost at the end of his draft year broke a bunch of records in the postseason tournaments. Uh, He was a dominant junior a player in the, in the BCHL and performed really well in the junior a challenge and uh, was uh, literally i think broke a mcdavid record at the world uh, at the u18s and it was and that was shocking because that's a junior a player going up against a bunch of chl players which is a higher level of, of competition and it was kind of okay well 
how is he going to you always want to know how junior a players are going to do at u18s next to the chl guys and like we saw with alex newhook last year newhook had a solid u18s and that's what got him drafted where it did where he was by the abs jost destroyed that tournament and then gave followed it up with one of the most impressive combines uh, of any of any prospect of the last five years, uh, because he he was such a polished and mature person already at seventeen that the interview process had him. It just between the U eighteen tournament and the combine interviews. It solidified his stock as like, okay, this is going to be a star. And then he goes to his first year of college and he puts up a point per game at North Dakota. Uh, he looks exceptional. Like this is, oh my God, this is the guy. He's going to be playing next to Nathan McKinnon. This They are going to be the, the leaders of the next wave of, of the great abs teams. It's going to be McKinnon. It's going to be Landeskog and it's going to be Tyson Jost. And there was more hype on Jost than there was Miko Rantanen. And that was after, while while all of that was going on, Rantanen was putting up a co-rookie of the year in the AHL, which was an awesome feat of its own that we kind of overlooked at the time. But Jost was so highly regarded and then signed, and he was still so young when he signed. And it just hasn't, gone that way like he's put up three years now of really frustrating to watch play because you'll see he'll have his moments where you're like oh my gosh who is this guy we we saw it in the playoffs last year he was awesome in the playoffs all last year in throughout both series and then when he got promoted because of injuries in the lineup he scores three goals in three games against the sharks in games five through seven and you're like oh my gosh this finally it's happening and then it didn't happen at all this year. And it just it just feels like every time he takes a step forward, he takes one and a half steps back. It's so well, it's so weird. You talk about this right real quick, right? Definitely gives me more insight on your frust- frustrations with Jost. And I've been one of his biggest like biggest supporters, most patient because he's very 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 young. And because of the because of his birthday, he was he was young in his draft class. He's He's it. He's age wise. He's like much younger than you would think, given he's been around forever now. And it, he's just it, it's easy to continue to dream on him. And when you see him start to put it together, like he did those couple games after the deadline this year, you're like, you just want to believe so badly. And he's such a great kid with such a great story that you you're just dying for him to succeed. And it just feels like he's just he hits that wall. And even if even if he goes on, he should go on to have a nice long NHL career. But being the star player that that I thought he was going to be, I just don't think it's there. It's so weird with Tyson Jost because it always feels like he's on the verge of breaking through, and that I think that might oh. be the uh, that might, I think that might be the most frustrating part is like all of a sudden he hits a stretch and you're like, oh my god, here it is. This is it. This is when he finally breaks through, and for whatever reason. You know, he like you mentioned, he usually takes a step back after that. So maybe he's a late late bloomer. But you know, you said something in there that um, kind of kills my confidence in that a little bit, which was about how mature he was at seventeen. 
And I know that in scouting prospects uh, for the NFL, a lot of teams believe that if a player is can, a player can be too mature uh, as a prospect, meaning that they've kind of uh, reached their ceiling early. And so I wonder if that could be a case with Tyson Jost, where he was so mature so fast that he was dominating those leagues, but he was, you know, he just had reached his peak earlier than a lot of guys. So we have an interesting conversation in NHL circles about maturity and how it's valued very, very highly by NHL teams, high character, um, really mature guys, but there's also an emotional sensitivity that you have to balance because um, there's a guy like Nathan McKinnon who just lets whatever slide off of him, right? Like he freaks out, he breaks sticks, but he moves on. And he, he, okay, what's next, right? Tyson Jost dwells, mm. gets in his own head and wants, almost wants it too much that he doesn't know how to let go. It was the, it was the Matt Duchesne problem where Matt Duchesne constantly, he wanted to be a superstar so badly that the number one thing preventing him from being that was himself. And with Jost, he wants it so badly. And he works so hard. He is first guy, first guy to get onto the ice, last guy to leave. I can never talk to him after practice because I have to wait an extra hour because he's out there messing around trying to do whatever he can to get better with the skills coach every single day. The guy is an obsessive worker. All he does, and and I ask him, what'd you do this summer? And he's like, I practiced. That's all he does. All he wants to do is play hockey and get better at hockey and watch hockey and talk hockey. He's a complete hockey nerd and junkie. It's his entire obsession. And you love that, right? Like you want a guy that just wants to be great, who will do anything to be great. The problem with him is that he hasn't completely learned how to get away from the game how to step away from it, how to relax and how to, how to find the balance that brings out the best in him, because it's obvious that the day-to-day obsession is a problem. And that it, when you're 21, you don't know any better. And that's all his entire life has been. And he's only been successful at the absolute highest level, a top prospect, a top college recruit, a top draft pick, you know, everything that he's done has been highly successful doing it his way, the obsessive way. And now we got to the NHL, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't quite broken through for him. And you wonder where the emotional, where he is on the emotional sensitivity curve is holding him back. It's kind of ironic. That that's the exact opposite of maturity, right? Like he yeah. almost needs to let go. Like yeah. He doesn't have that ability just yet. Um, like you were saying, you definitely see with McKinnon how things like he'll get mad even with uh, coach Jared Bednar and they'll kind of like get in a fit and then in the locker room, they'll be perfectly fine. Or um, after the game during the press conference, Bednar will be totally fine. No issues there. Um, But you do see with some players after they get yelled at or talked to on the bench, they definitely sit there kind of head in their knees, kind of upset with, their their play you really don't see that with mckinnon yeah so it's why tad boyle always says you know if he could go back to college he wouldn't have been a a business major he would have been a psychology major because coaching is so much about psychology and understanding what makes certain people tick and what they like and what they respond to and don't respond to well and i've talked to jared bedner about jost a number of times over the years the last couple years and he's and it's been it's been 
look, he does everything that from a coach's perspective, he does everything you want. He works hard. He takes everything that we give him. He watches video. He doesn't ever miss a session. He practices hard. He plays hard. He does. He's a coach's dream. As a coach, what more do you tell this guy? How do you tell him to relax? How do you tell him to get out of his own head that what he needs to do is step away from it? And so from from a coach, you're right. I mean, the psychology, you got to move away from it. And Jost is just, he just has turned out to be one of the most fascinating abs players in recent years because they've been they've been so boomer bust with their draft picks you either got a star or you got nothing and he's right in the middle and he had such high expectations yeah from a nuggets perspective it's probably emmanuel moutier mm. i mean moutier seventh overall pick in uh 2015 he was like a top five recruit in high school when the nuggets picked him at seven that was looked at as a great selection like he, he could have gone third overall. He could have gone fifth overall. And but he went seventh. And you know, Nuggets got A grades for that. It was a great pick at the time. Six five point guard who already had an NBA body, who, you know, wasn't the greatest athlete, but still athletic enough to succeed at the NBA level. Seemed like he had a, a good head on his shoulders. He did have a good head on his shoulders. Um he had like all the makings of a franchise point guard. And that's what the Nuggets definitely thought they were getting at a seventh overall. And um, it's funny, like during his rookie season, he had a terrible rookie season, like a God awful rookie season. <laughs> one, of, one of like the worst rookie seasons ever. Uh, but you know, you still saw signs. You still saw signs of, of, as a playmaker and just like his ability to make reads out of the pick and roll and whatnot. But the thing about Moody was he never got any better. He never really improved from his rookie season. He just never really developed a shot. Never really, uh, it never never really seemed like the game slowed down for him. Never improved defensively like he needed to. Uh, so he was really hyped and he was looked at as a real blue chip prospect, but uh, just just never really developed. And that's kind of the the wrap on his whole career. One of he's one of the many reasons, and maybe the main reason why I do not ever trust guard prospects that don't have a jump shot like yeah because for him when he wasn't able to just slash through everyone like he was at lower levels and get to the rim at will it just he he had nothing he had nowhere else to go he wasn't even good at the rim yeah especially in the nba right (laughs) he he was really a guy who just like he, he the funny thing is like he played good competition in high school but he was just so much bigger and stronger than everybody in high school. He was 6'5 and came into the NBA with an NBA body. He was big. Uh, So I think he was just able to out-muscle everybody at the high school level. And then obviously didn't play a year in college, played in China for a year, was probably able to do that same type of thing in China. He didn't even play um, much in China because he hurt that ankle. Yeah, he played like eight or nine games in China. Is he still with the Nets now? Uh, He is with the Utah Jazz, and he's Mm. pretty much their third-string point guard. And, like, he's okay for a third-string point guard. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's a number seven pick. Well, it's interesting that the Harrison and, and AJ, your two guys, were players who were mature early on. But yet, and I think Ryan kind of talked to it, too, is, like, you've got nowhere to go but but down because you've already reached a peak. Like, you don't, you, you don't have any room for potential by that point. If you're already kind of mature beyond your years, well, then how are you going to you know, develop in your – 20s and 30s at that point if, if you've already kind of reached a, 
a plateau or a glass ceiling, if you will. Well, I think yeah. where where Jost is a little different from what what Harrison said about Moutier was Jost has gotten better. Um, but unfortunately for him, the team around him has gotten much better at a very, very fast rate. And so his opportunity is very limited now. And it the least of Rudo and I talk about this all, all the time on the apps pod. Jost will probably have a really successful breakout and it probably won't be in Colorado. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. That was the last thing I wanted to know about Jost. What, how long is the, is the leash in Colorado in terms of, you know, waiting for him to finally actually break out? Well, from a management perspective, you love the kid, right? He works, he works really hard. He's a great kid. He's a great representative of your team. He's constantly involved in the community. Like this is everything that you want. And he's 21 years old. You could, you could keep him for the next 10 years and be happy with the, with the person that you have, but you're trying to win a Stanley cup and you want to know, okay, well, how many of these guys will get better opportunity elsewhere? Can we go and pluck a, a big time player out? If we combine a Jost and a Zadorov in a first round pick, what can we go get from someone else to make us unstoppable in the West? And that's, that's what they have to weigh this summer. The conversations were already happening at the deadline, but this summer is really, uh, whenever this offseason happens, I think if he's, if he's on the ads at the start of next year, I think it's them committing to him. Um, the, it, it's them committing to him to have the breakout in Denver. Um, and then it's on Bedner to give him opportunity. And if he's if if he's not in Colorado at the start of the next season, whenever it happens, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's he's always so kind of yeah that line. It, it's always so interesting to see and just examine how different teams like what their patience level is with these guys yeah. and what the certain variables are that are at play. Because the Nuggets with Moody, they were about as patient as you can be in NBA terms with a franchise point guard, it gave him three seasons pretty much, of, yeah. you know, trying to be a, a starter in those first two seasons. And then in his third year, seeing if he could be the backup. And, you know, even that was not going to work out long-term. So, I mean, they were really patient with him and you kind of have to be, if you're drafting a guy seventh overall and have him on a rookie deal that you know, pays him a good amount of money, but they gave him every opportunity that they could have. The interesting uh, Broncos parallel there would be Paxton Lynch, who interestingly, they didn't try to force him into that role. And that's the weirdest thing I think about the Paxton Lynch situation and why I consider him potentially one one of the biggest busts ever is because he – didn't he you know he didn't even start half a season worth of games drew Locke has already started more games for the broncos than paxton lynch ever did we're talking about a first round pick that you traded up for at quarterback so the broncos one didn't push him into the role uh kind of like they did with moutier where you just throw him out there and you say you're our starting point guard now well they didn't do that with him and they also didn't have patience with him which in the end was for the best uh, because he just wasn't going to pan out. But that was that's the weirdest one for me, is usually you see a team throw someone out there and then determine whether or not they're going to be patient to live with the bumps and bruises of the experience. The Broncos drafted him in the first round, never made him the starter, and moved on from him before, you know, uh, before his rookie contract was even close to being up. Very, very odd situation. I one, bet if the... 
Sorry, I, I think I, a big I, difference there is that Moutier loved basketball and Jost loves hockey and Paxton Lynch loved playing video games. Yeah, I think that narrative is a little bit blown out of proportion, but it highlights it's it highlights the problem with Paxton Lynch, which was that he was not anything close to like what you're saying with Jost obsessive over becoming great. He was just kind of he he thought, you know what? Well, I've always been good, and I'll just show up with my buddies living at my house, and you know I'll uh, stay up late doing whatever with them, and then I'll show up the next day and eventually I'll just become the starter. And that was another thing. I felt like even when he wasn't the starter as a rookie, he just thought, oh, yeah, I just have to wait, and eventually it'll be my time. So, yes, the the video games thing is is not incorrect, but I think it it, uh, illuminated um, the bigger problem, which was that he he didn't have a desire and a need to be great in the NFL. I think another comparison – for the Broncos in this and patience would be Garrett Bowles. I mean, he was a high draft pick and they've really believed they went out and got one of, or the best offensive line coach in the league, just trying to help him and trying to get him better. But we really haven't seen him improve. Like he has a hard time with constructive criticism from what we've seen saying that the refs are after him, that it's not his fault. And he's definitely not learning from the mistakes that he's made. Yeah, that's a that's another weird one. I think the main reason why the Broncos have been patient with him is because when they go into an offseason and they start illuminating their needs, they always say, okay, well, that's a need, but we do have a guy there that we still want to see. So they like, they've just been pushing that need down the list, even though they know it exists. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that happens again this year. Um, you know, a lot of people I think will be really upset and for good reason if the Broncos don't draft his replacement, but yeah, that's definitely an example of extreme patience there and they have to make a decision on his, uh, fifth year option coming up here. Um, I personally would be shocked if they pick it up, but you know, they're waiting, they've said they're going to wait until after the draft and that should tell you right then and there that what they do in the draft will determine what they think the future is for Garrett Bowles. So, you know, if they're going to draft a tackle, then they're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. But if they don't, then they might actually pull the trigger on that. I think, I think there's this whole similarities that... there between, like I said, Bowles and, and Gray because John Gray's a free agent after next season. So if, if there's no 2020, it's going to be 2021 is the last time you might see John Gray in a Rockies uniform. And I think his best years are to come and will most likely be somewhere else because – Again, that future component of, of guys that you're going to be paying for the next couple of years, they might want to continue to get younger and stay younger. And there's some you know, decent starting pitching uh, in the pipeline, number one being Ryan Rollison. And, and ultimately, if, if they think, you know what, spending at least $10 million a year on John Gray you know, for the next five years is, is an overspend, then they're not going to do that. And he's going to go somewhere else. And I think he's going to almost immediately benefit from – pitching at another ballpark and maybe not feeling like he was the guy or he has to be the guy. Sure. He'll be making the money like the guy, but he's not going to be that organization's one of their highest picks of all time. And I think there's going to be some, you know, undue pressure taken off him a little bit. And I think it will be a somewhat of a breath of fresh air. And again, the best of John Gray, I, I think is, is really yet to come. 
All right, before we go, I got to read a comment that was left on one of our previous podcasts from Vic Fangio's sweater. That is his username. Um, he said, first, I saw the picture of the DNVR team at the Insta wall and had a moment of realization. This community that you all have built would not be possible if the staff weren't a community and a family yourselves. You should all be damn proud. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thanks. Really Amen. Awesome comment Vic Fangio's sweater we are definitely a family but thank you all for listening and we will see you guys next week